Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. On on this episode, we have a great question from one of our listeners. And the question is this. Why do false teachings stand out more than the truth? What a, what a great question. You know, Timothy is responsible for teaching the truth and handling error correctly. 2 Timothy 2.14 tells us. Now, remind, it's a present imperative. Timothy must keep reminding his church of the doctrines that Paul outlined in, in uh, 2 Timothy 2, 11-13. Timothy is to charge the people before God. For the Lord hears all speech, even quarrels over nothing but wording. And the next phrase translated, which does no good in verse 14, has a slight play on the word api. Quarrels over trivial verbal matters are good for nothing, but they lead to ruin since they harm speakers and hearers. Now, most strife over words is babble and folly, not heresy, but, but petty quarrels are still harmful. Whenever people insist on a specific word such as sin, broken, or even atonement, there's a chance they want to quarrel about words. In fact, even in controversy-heavy settings, people can also quarrel about the proper way to oppose error. One wants a general approach, another one wants a specific denunciation of errors. And so a quarrel can be about words that can erupt uh, if a pastor or ministry leader allegedly fails to condemn an error with sufficient vigor. There is a time for confrontation and debate. J. Gresham Machen rightly observed that, that men will fight about the critical things. In fact, a religion that utters pious phrases but shrinks from controversy will never stand. There is even a time to quarrel about words that there are essential. For example, this holds when skeptical theologians hide their convictions by using conventional terms in heterodox ways, and so skeptical theologians may even label Jesus as Savior, but what they mean that his teachings and examples save people from meaningless lives. Or Orthodox Christians are, are willing to do theological battle over that. We fight for words that, that convey essential biblical truths, but we disavow quarrels about mere labels. And so instead of quarreling, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In fact, the command to do your best, it calls Timothy to put forth every effort. Workers can be approved or even evil. They can be rewarded, they can be punished, but the harvest is plentiful, and so the Lord needs workers. In fact, teachers are to rightly handle the word of truth, that is the gospel. This meaning of the word of truth is evident in Ephesians, where Paul tells us that believers have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Rightly uh, handling it, it literally translates to cut straight or without deviation. It, in Paul's cultures, worker, workers cut stones straight. They cut roads straight through the countryside, and they cut fields straight with plows. 
And so in context, the, the task is to rightly handle the gospel faithfully. And so teachers cut straight when they proclaim Jesus' uh, redemption and exhort all to repent and to believe in Christ alone without changing the message to conform to the taste or the distaste of the day. Now, Timothy is told in, in 2 Timothy 2, 16-17, to avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Now, irreverent babble is an empty, godless, even profane chatter. It's like the smooth talk of false prophets, and unlike the seasoned speech that, that will give grace to those who hear, if these babblers... Uh, consider themselves progressive as abhorrent thinkers often do, then Paul says they're going to progress towards ungodliness. And if their ideas spread, they spread like a crippling disease. By contrast, to true teaching, it's healthy, it's sound, it's true. Paul is concerned about the spread of false teaching. Uh, among the false teachers are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, uh, saying that the resurrections already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, 2 Timothy 2, 17-18 tells us. Hymenaeus is the same man whom Paul condemned for blasphemy in 1 Timothy 1.20. No one knows precisely what Hymenaeus said, although the false teaching about the resurrection may connect to uh, Greek disdain for the body. Now, challenges to biblical teaching on the body and even the resurrection, they were common in the early church, and errors uh, spread in the opposite direction. One party said that the bodily pleasures are dangerous so that believers should practice self-denial. Another party said that the, the bodily pleasures are inconsequential so that believers can indulge themselves. In fact, later Gnostic literature spiritualized the resurrection, reducing it to enlightenment. And so the idea that the resurrection has already happened, uh, which verse 18 says, may represent an acute case of, of over-realized -real, eschatology. That, that is the view taught that believers already lived in full in the age to come. Now apostasy, it causes absolute harm. The message of false teachers were bound to upset the faithful. And, yet, and so this is why Paul says in verse 19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now false teaching may royal the church, but it cannot wreck its foundation, which, which is approximately the apostles and, and the prophets, but ultimately the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Nothing can reverse God's saving acts. He, he protects his own until the day of salvation. Their salvation is certain, for God has written their names in the book of life. Now, it upsets believers when people such as Hymenaeus and Alexander swerve from the faith that they once proclaimed. And still, if anyone doubts his status, Paul reassures them by quoting Numbers 16.5, which says, The Lord knows those who are his, in verse 19. In number 16, it describes the, the, the rebellion of Korah. Korah gathered 250 leaders of Israel to uh, uh, accuse Moses and Aaron of usurping Israel's leadership. In Numbers, Moses asked God to judge between him and Korah, saying in verse 15 of number 16, the Lord will show or make known those who are his. And Paul, following the Septuagint, which reads, the Lord knows who is his, See, God knows who does and does not belong to him. He knows who leads and who speaks truly. God called Moses and Aaron. He, he did not know Korah, who, who soon perished uh, for his contumacy. And, and similarly, the Lord knows that Hymenaeus and his allies are self 
appointed and false. So, so God's people can stay calm. There are always false teachers, and God always unmasks them eventually. To Hymenaeus and his tribe, Paul commands in verse 19, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That is, if they call on the name of the Lord, they will forsake their rebellion, lest the Lord exclude them and shame them. In fact, the Lord promises to preserve his church despite the threats caused by heretics. Korah did not destroy Israel, and no one can destroy the church. For the Lord summons self-designated believers to forsake their ideas and their conduct. And so Paul's invitation to depart from iniquity, it echoes Moses' teaching to the Israelites to depart from Korah lest they die with him when judgment comes in Numbers 16, 25-35. Now, biblical teaching on association with sinners it has two threads, separation and engagement. Jesus engaged tax collectors and sinners, and God's people are always to be willing to spend time with unbelievers. And yet passages such as 2 Timothy 2.19, it warns us to separate from people who profess faith but deny it in word and deed. And so if we encounter false teachers or, or those who ever want to live however they want to, we warn them. We do not act as though we are one with them. Second, we take heart. God promises that, that he will assess and judge those who falsely claim leadership in the house of God. Unless they repent, they're going to be exposed. They're going to be punished. And until then, trustworthy leaders must oppose teachers who will lead God's people astray. Lastly, we trust that God's foundation will stand. In fact, Jesus' own words in John 10, 14 says, I, I know my own and my own know me. And so this knowledge, it includes the grace of preservation. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep, and he promises uh, that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The Westminster Confession of Faith 17.1 says this point. Uh, they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called, sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Well, guys, I want to thank you for listening or even watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.